0: Back in 2018, the auction house Sotheby's sold an ancient piece of pottery. It was a broken piece of pottery, a fragment. It was 1,200 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And you know how much that piece of pottery sold for? In American dollars, about $150,000 for a broken piece of pottery. There are some pieces of pottery that are very valuable. And as we go through this text today, Job chapter 2... I want you to think of that little broken piece of pottery as Job's search for relief. Now last week we looked at Job chapter 1. This whole sermon series is on the fear of the Lord. Uh, We live in a day and age where people have no reverence for God anymore. They uh, don't fear God. They don't fear His Word. Uh, They just pray when they want something. And when God doesn't give it to them, we just kind of turn our back on Him and run in some other direction. Well, Job was a righteous and godly man. The Bible says he was the greatest man on the earth. He feared the Lord and he shunned evil. Now, if God allows a man who fears God and shuns evil to go through difficult trials, as Job has, that Job had gone through, surely we should expect his wisdom to be passed on to us. For we will go through difficult trials as well. Most of us try to live our lives to avoid trials, but... As you found out, if you live long enough, they're inevitable, they're gonna come. We saw last week that in one day, Job lost his possessions. In one day, Job lost his kids. In one day, Job lost just about everything. And if that's not enough, now we go to scene two. Job chapter two, we had the privilege of hearing Jeff and Sarah read this earlier. I'm not gonna read through the whole text because of time, but I want you to pull out your outline on the back of your bulletin, and I'll read it in parts, okay? Uh, How do those who fear God handle afflictions? Here's point number one. The first thing you got to remember when you're going through a difficult time is that we reflect a spiritual awareness. We have to be spiritually aware, spiritually alert when afflictions come. Most of us live on a world level where we don't think of any kind of spiritual disciplines or truth. When trials come into our lives, we just just chalk it up to bad people or bad circumstances. But if God is in control of all things, and he is, in Job's case, Satan came to him and said, Hey, I'd like to afflict Job, and God gave him permission. So we see God's sovereign care over A man that fears him and shuns evil and he still gives the devil permission to bring trial and difficulty and great pain and suffering into Job's life. Surely we can learn from this. Now, let's read the first three verses together. The thing I want us to see is that when we're going through earthly difficulties, there's a spiritual realm to this. There's a spiritual dimension. And here we see a picture, if you will, in this spiritual realm. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Now watch what the Lord says. Could he say this about you? Have you considered my servant, fill in your name right there. Have you considered my servant Jeff or John or Sue or Bill? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Here's what Satan's goal is for us. He wants us to turn our backs on God. He wants us to just quit the faith and live by our own selfish desires. And many of us have blindly followed his leading in that area. Satan doesn't stop. He tries to attack. Now, I'm not saying Satan attacks each of us individually, but through his programs, through his methods, through his influence, he wants us to turn from the Lord. So we've got to understand there's a spiritual realm here, folks. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, our battle's not against flesh and blood. Satan's doing his very best to convince you that God's not good, that God's a liar, that God can't be trusted. Go your own way. Now, we may not understand everything in this spiritual realm, but we'd be foolish to ignore it. But I want you to understand one point here God is supreme, God is the highest authority. Satan does not have power over the Lord. He goes to God and asks for God's permission. Satan knows what we often choose to ignore. He is in control. He is God. And even though we might ignore him, it doesn't change the fact that he's still God. So ultimate permission, and you've heard me say it like this before, all satanic requests have to go through God's filter, God's wisdom. So here's the request that Satan makes concerning Job to the Lord. Verse 4 and 5. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and then he will surely curse you to your face. See what Satan wants you to do? Take the Lord's name in vain, curse God to his face. One commentator, and I don't want to get into politics, but one commentator said, if you interpret that word skin for skin, you know what it means? Quid pro quo. Oh, I'm sure you want to hear that today, don't you? God will only be served if you give him something for something, you know, you take away God's blessings. Surely you'll curse God to his face. Has God been able to do that with you or has Satan been able to do that with you? If Satan removed something from your life and he got you mad at God and you turned your back on God, that's what he likes to do. He wants you to be angry at the Lord. If you don't give me what I want, I'm out of here. That's what he wants you to say. It didn't work in chapter one. All that Job lost, it didn't cause Job to sin against the Lord. The Bible says at the end of chapter one, in all this, he did not sin by accusing God of wrongdoing. Wouldn't be said that Satan's thinking here, every man has his price. What's your price? Job was gonna lose everything. Would you still serve God if you lost everything? Satan lost round one, so now he's going to round two. He doesn't quit and he's targeting Job in an area that all of us are vulnerable. He's targeting Job's health, his health. You see, in chapter one, it's external. But round two, now it's internal. The afflictions were outside of Job in round one, but now in round two, Satan turns up the heat and he brings on Job terrible physical suffering. That's his request. God, I'd like to torment and torture Job. Just put your name there. God, I'd like to torment and torture every one of you in this place. That's what Satan wants to do. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now you might deny that, but this is Holy Scripture and this is what the Bible tells us that he wants to do. So you ignore it at your own peril. What does God do? Satan makes this request. You'd think God would say, "Uh uh-uh, this is a righteous, holy man. He fears God and shuns evil. Surely God would not allow such suffering to come upon this righteous, holy man. No, God in his wisdom, see his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. God in his wisdom says a divine and holy. Yes. Job, I give you permission. Look what it says in verse six. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. Notice God gives permission with boundaries. Satan, I'm going to give you this much room. Uh, One ancient preacher said, God keeps Satan on a leash. He gives him so much permission, but not permission where he can do anything outside of the Lord's will. God's permission has limits. We see that, of course, with Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to a cross, he suffered terrible torment for you and for me. Even to the point where Jesus said, my father, why have you forsaken me? Because that's what was required to take away our sin. That's what was required to pay the price that needed to be paid for God's wrath to be poured upon his son. Are you aware of this battle? You see, we go through life thinking worldly things and we don't even realize that this kind of conversation perhaps is taking place in the heavenlies. And I don't want to put too much emphasis on it. All I'm asking you, point number one, are you spiritually aware? Are you awake to the fact that you're in a spiritual battle? Do you know that you have an adversary, an enemy that goes against you? Or do you just want to live for the things of this world? Satan's very pleased if you come to that conclusion. In October of 2009, some pilots for Northwest Airlines Flight 88 were flying to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Wouldn't you like to be on this flight? As they were flying, they, quote, lost track of where they were. The pilots lost track of where they were. Finally, one of the flight attendants knocked on the door and said, What are you guys doing? Where are you going? You see, they had overshot Minneapolis by 150 miles. They were spiritually unaware. Uh, someone has said perhaps they fell asleep. I don't know. i talked to Drew. You're the pilot. I don't know. But, but something happened where they lost their awareness. They got caught up with something else and they forgot where they were. And that's what happens to us as we go through life. We get so caught up with something else that spiritual things just get pushed to the back burner. We don't want anything to do with God or Jesus unless God gives us what we want. So God allows these tests and trials to come into our lives to let us to wake up to the fact that we're in a spiritual world. A spiritual awareness is taking place. So how does Job handle this? Let's go to point number two. We receive a serious affliction. And many of us, we want to think that God never allows anything bad to come into our lives. And if you've lived long enough with the Lord, you realize that Sometimes bad things happen in your life. My wife's dad's godly pastor. He's going through a difficult time. My wife's mother's godly mother. She's going through a difficult time. Godly woman. Look what it says in verses 7 through 8. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job. Everybody say afflicted Job. Go ahead. Afflicted. 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 With painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. And then Job took a broken piece of pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Now, I went back and I looked at a commentary on exactly what did Job suffer as you go through the whole book of Job. And they put it in paragraph form and they said, here's what he had to go through. The precise nature of Job's sickness is uncertain, but its symptoms were painful, festering sores over his whole body. The same sores you saw in The Egyptians suffered in Exodus 9 and King Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20. He had nightmares, scabs that peeled and became black. His figure was disfigured and he had a revolting appearance, very much like our Lord. Bad breath in chapter 19, verse 17, excessive thinness, fever and pain day and night, day and night, day and night. Never stopped. Satan's afflictions never stopped. Commentator went on to say, do you realize that in that day and time, he couldn't run to a drugstore and get some medicine or pain relief? He was afflicted. Now, here's a guy that's got everything. He's the greatest man on all the earth. All these possessions, great family, everything. And in one day, his whole situation changes. One day. He's spiritually aware, like we need to be spiritually aware, that in life, we can be seriously afflicted. And his suffering was relentless. So he began searching for a remedy. And here's what we all do. When times get tough, we're looking for the answer. We're looking for the remedy. We're looking for the medicinal whatever to get fixed. Okay? What did verse 8 say? So what did Job do? He took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Now, the phrase there, sat among the ashes. Some feel like there was an ash heap outside the city like a garbage dump. That he not only had his physical situation changed, but because he lost everything, he had to go somewhere. So he went to this ash heap outside of the city, and he sat there by himself, all alone in great pain and suffering. What a change in one day. It went from here to here overnight. All under the permission of the Lord. Isn't it interesting, if you go through the Bible, there's a word that's used for us. It's clay. Clay. Jeremiah, the Bible says that God is the potter and we're the clay. If you go to Romans chapter 9, verse 21, it says, Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? So here's clay. Choose using other clay to go ahead to try to find relief. You know, we we all seek relief from the physical pains of life. But I dare say it's a little deeper than that. We're all looking for relief to fill the inner fears in our hearts, the anxieties. But because we trust very few, we keep people at arm's length and we go through our suffering unbearably alone, terribly alone. But here's the second point. Now you be spiritually aware. The devil loves to attack under God's auspices, of course, but the devil will attack and it comes out of nowhere Your whole world can change just like that, as we've found out just in the past few weeks. There was a British newspaper, The Sun, that had this headline Vicar Savaged by Dog. A vicar is a priest, a preacher. There was a a man, 45 years old, named Alan Elwood, a preacher who was in the Episcopalian church. He was walking home and he was attacked by an Alsatian dog. He was bitten all over his body and his trousers and shirt were ripped to shreds in a farmyard attack. He said, quote, it was terrifying. I was lucky to get out of it. Here's the funny thing or the sad thing. You know what the name of the dog was? Satan. The guy got attacked by a dog named Satan. Came out of nowhere. He was just minding his business. He's a preacher. Surely a preacher's not going to get attacked by Satan. I have never. Yeah, right. All of us have a big bullseye painted on our chest. Uh, The devil does not discriminate who he attacks. If you belong to Jesus, he's going to look after you. Now, are you going to give him room? Are you give him an opportunity to attack? Are you going to choose to sin so you're going to open up that door and say, devil, come on in. Come on in. And he'll wait 20 years before he comes on in because he wants you to stay in that lifestyle of sin until all of a sudden he walks in. And then what? He loves to torment I want to make you fearful. He who is in us is greater than he that is in the world, okay? If you're a Christian, I don't want to make you fearful. But I want to make you aware that if you're not aware, you can get attacked. And how you handle the attack will show you if you really fear God and shun evil. So be aware. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, Be controlled, self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking. For someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So first point, let's be aware that we're in a spiritual battle. Point number two, let's understand that Satan likes to attack, to bring serious afflictions into our lives. Okay? Let's finish this up. Point number three. Now here's kind of where the rubber hits the road. Here's the point that we need to apply the prescription to the problem. Okay? Okay? Point number three, we reveal a settled acceptance, acceptance, A C C E P T A N C E. We reveal a settled acceptance. How are you going to handle it? When an attack comes into your life, are you going to take the Lord's name in vain? Are you going to get upset? Are you going to get angry? Now remember God ordained, he gave permission, if you will, for the enemy to attack and we don't like it. God, this isn't fair. I don't like what you're doing here, God. God said, you liked me when I blessed you. You're still going to like me when the blessing's gone? You see, it's not about the gift. It's about the giver of the gift. So in point number three, we see in these verses, 9 and 10, his wife said to him, Job, are you still holding on to your integrity? Watch the counsel that his wife gives to him. Curse God and die. Oh man, not the best counseling. He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this Job did not sin in what he said. Now here's, here's the temptation. Notice what Job's wife's saying. First of all, let's cut her some slack here. She just lost her kids, okay? There's an old saying, it's called this. Hurting people hurt people. Hurting people like to share their hurt with other people because they don't want to share, or they don't want to keep that hurt alone in their hearts. So let's be a little tender here. Let's just not immediately throw Job's wife under the bus. She's hurting. She's a hurting mom. She just, I mean, her whole world's just changed. Okay, so let's show a little grace here. How would you respond if what she went through, you went through? Okay? But notice what she says. There's a temptation to abandon God. She says, we loved God. He gave us all this stuff and he took it away. She has come to the conclusion that God is not fair. Now, remember... The clays saying to the potter, I don't like the way you're doing this, Potter. Have you ever done that to the Lord? I don't the way I don't like the way you're running this world, God. I don't like the way you're running my life. I don't like the way, I don't like the way, I don't like the way you're doing things. So let me give you a better idea. And we tell God what to do. And if he doesn't, we just fold up our hands and back up and pout. Well, I'm gonna show you, God. I'm not gonna pray. By the way, please let me keep breathing. Okay? I'm not going to go to church, but please don't hurt me. We start making these commands and then we realize he's God, I'm not, oops. She's hurting. And she says, you need to do what I'm doing, curse God and die. And there are many, many people who have fallen into that same trap when affliction has come into their lives. They said, enough's enough. Unwittingly, Job's wife, now watch this, becomes a mouthpiece for Satan's plans to the man she loves most. Because of her pain, she's agreeing with the advice that Satan's giving her. Let's get mad at God. She's urging her husband to do exactly what Satan wants her to do. One commentator said she's following the path of Eve. Being influenced by Satan. But the goal is, don't listen to God. Just, you're smarter than that. Did God really say, don't eat from this tree? Just ignore God. Ignore God's word. You're smart enough. Just keep your blessings. And then this will never happen to you. And we take that lie and believe it to be true. Until it's not true anymore. Notice how Job responds. He says, you're talking like a foolish woman. Now, the word foolish in the Old Testament is the word Nabal. You're familiar with the story of Nabal and Abigail. Nabal was a worldly-minded man who had a lot of possessions. He turned his back on King David, and Abigail, his wife, saved Nabal from destruction for a little while, before he destroyed himself. And Nabal, a foolish person, is one who doesn't give thought to spiritual things. They only care about the things of this world. They only only care about what they can get out of this world. And the only reason they want God is if God gives them stuff in this world. But if God doesn't give them stuff in this world, they have no concern about spiritual things. So Job is saying to his wife, you are thinking like a worldly person. You are not thinking about a spiritual person. You need to become spiritually aware. We are under attack. Don't be foolish about this. then he says something that I think all of us, here's the lesson for the day. Okay. Here's the principle that we need to walk out of here with today. Okay. Shall we watch verse 10? Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? See, here's the way we like to do it. I only want good from God, but not trouble. I don't want God to give me any trouble. But if he's God and he's all wise and he's knowing what he's doing, God can give us good And it's just as good as if God gives us trouble. They're both good because our God is good. The problem with trouble is it's rarely short. Even though it's one day there, now we're in chapter 2, trouble usually lasts for a while. And because it lasts for a while, it just wears on us. And it wears on our souls. And it just causes us to almost give up. And that's what Satan wants to do. But it's when the end comes that God shows up and shows us that he's in charge you got to go through 40 chapters of this test before you get to the end of the story. It lasts a while. But notice the principle. You got to walk out here and you've got to say this to yourself. God, I accept good from you and God, I accept trouble from you because you know best. Thank you. That's a hard thing to admit, isn't it? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm not going to pray for trouble for me or you or anybody else. That's what the devil wants. It's not what I want. But if you're spiritually aware and you realize you're being under attack, you got to come to the conclusion, God, I accept from your hand. Because you're good. I don't like this, but you're good. You're a spiritually mature person if you can come to that conclusion. I love what Warren Wiersbe says. In times of severe testing, our first question is usually, how can I get out of this? But the real question should be, what can I get out of this? We're saying, how can I get out of this? But we should be saying, God, what what can I learn from this? What can I get out of this? Here's what I pray. When you're going through a difficult time, this is the best prayer you can pray. Lord, I want you to get glory out of this. I am unimportant. I don't matter. I'm not wanting your stuff. I want you to get glory. And if this brings you glory, praise your name. Or, if you kind of agree with Job's wife here, you're wanting glory for yourself. I like my possessions. I like that I'm the greatest person in the whole world. Oh, man. People, look at me. I'm something special. Look at me. I'm successful. I got all this stuff. I am somebody. That's what Satan wants you to think. So God will give you some affliction. You're not as much as you think you are. It's about me and my glory. Have you come to the conclusion where you can say to yourself, I accept what the Lord brings into my life. I have a settled acceptance. This this is settled. I have made, this is a conviction of mine. Whether good comes, whether bad comes, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now watch what Job did. I love this. In all this, Job did not sin in what he, what? Said. What do you do when bad stuff happens? You mumble, you grumble, you mumble, you grumble. You have a conversation that nobody can hear but you. God, I don't like this. I'm not going to pray today. I'm not going to read my Bible today. You've not been very nice to me, Lord. And the words that come out of our mouth are a picture of the reflection of our heart. Job didn't even do that. I mean, how much can you lose and not complain? That's why he's the greatest man in all the earth. Because he's a spiritual man that fears God and shuns evil. And God is so proud of him because he's acting as if he knows that God's in control. And he is. You know, we're, we're a different kind of folk than used to walk on this earth as Christians. Did you know that? I'll conclude with this story. It used to be there were Christians that had a settled acceptance... That God was God, we're not. They had a settled acceptance that whatever comes into my life, I'm yours. Whether I live or die, I'm yours. Over a hundred years ago, there was a group of missionaries and they had a nickname. They were called the One Way Missionaries. One of those guys was A.W. Milne. M-I-L-N-E. Milne or Milne, I'm not sure how you say his last name, but he was one of those missionaries He set sail for the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific, knowing full well that headhunters who lived there had martyred every missionary before him. Now, if you're familiar with the New Hebrides Islands, there were some tremendous missionaries that had gone there. John Payton, Milne, and others. And when you went there, it was pretty much a a death call. They were cannibals. They were headhunters. They didn't want anybody coming to their island. That's all they knew. This was 100 years ago. There was no technology, no social media. They didn't know what was going on there. These people feared, scared them. Now, the one way missionaries had a simple rule. Here's what it was. When you go somewhere, you take your possessions and you don't put them in a suitcase. You know what you do? You pack your belongings in a coffin. And Milton and others that went on missionary work, they put all their possessions in a coffin because they were not coming home. They said goodbye to everybody they loved and they went forward for Jesus, knowing full well they weren't coming back. They had the settled conviction. I'm yours. You can do with me as you please. Boy, how things have changed. Have they not? We say, God, if you don't give me what I want, I'm quitting. These guys said, God, I don't care if you give me what I want. I'm going to give you all I got. Because you're God and I'm not. I'm yours. It was said of Milton. When he went to the New Hebrides Islands, they didn't kill him. He lived there for 35 years. And he lived among that tribe and he loved them. To the point that when he died, tribe members buried him in the middle of their village with this on their tombstone, on his tombstone. This is what the words that summarize this man's life. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. What a beautiful way to have our lives described. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Can that be said of you? Or to turn that around. Wherever he was, there was darkness. There wasn't any light. Aren't you thankful that we have a God that created the heavens and the earth, gave us the rules to live by, and when we break them, he forgives us of our sin. Many go around and they say, oh, that's just pie in the sky, preacher. It was a real Jesus that walked on this earth. There was a real Jesus that died on the cross for our sins. There was a real Jesus that rose again. And if you don't have a problem with what I'm saying, you disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can't do that. They've been trying for years and still can't find anything about Jesus. Except the truth that he rose again. That's how much you're loved. Jesus died for you. Sometimes in the scheme of things, we get it backwards. We pretend to be God and tell him who he should be. Instead of who he is. God tells us, look, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Trust me. Can we accept good from God and not trouble? Give him your heart. Have the settled conviction. Whatever comes about, I'm yours. I'm yours. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you are a good and holy God. Lord, I'm thankful for your grace and mercy. Father, you've brought everybody here today at your providential design to hear these words. Some have open hearts, some have closed hearts, some have hardened hearts. Oh, Father, I pray that you'll speak to the ones with hardened hearts and let them know of your majesty, of your glory, of your goodness, of your love, of your grace. It's been revealed through your Son, Jesus Christ. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they will understand. That they must confess their sins and accept you in their hearts as Lord. Father, if there's anybody here that's going through a difficult time, they came in here today saying, man, is this ever going to end? Father, I thank you that in your perfect plan, in your perfect design, all things work together for good for them that love the Lord. And I just pray you'll reveal to them that you're in charge and you're in control. We love you. We give you the praise in Jesus name. Amen.